Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, and we're back with another great show. We're going to tell you all kinds of things that will make you feel and look your best. I want you to know that we have a new email address. You can write us with questions or show suggestions. Here's the email address, usdoctorradio at gmail.com. That's usdoctorradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. It's a great way for you to ask a question and get an answer from one of the nation's leading experts on anti-aging and wellness medicine, Dr. Edward Lichten. You can also contact the doctor at his office in Birmingham, Michigan at 248-593-9999. Again, Dr. Lichten's number is 248-593-9999 or visit his website at usdoctor.com. The website again, usdoctor.com. It's a great site. He's put together a lot of resources for you. So you may want to call him for a consultation or check him out on the web, and that's how you do it. You know, we're doing this show every week now. Look for a new one on Mondays. And next week on the Licton Lifestyle, we'll be talking to Brad McCloskey, a pharmacist from University Compounding Pharmacy in Troy, Michigan. We're going to talk about the bad rap that we've been hearing since the Oprah Winfrey show with Suzanne Summers. They had a doctor in the audience that was saying some, what I felt, negative things about compound pharmacies. And I want to know, is it justified or is it just another way that Big Pharma is trying to squeeze out the competition? We'll ask Brad about that. And I'm fascinated about compounding pharmacies. To be honest, I never knew anything about them until uh, I visited Dr. Lichten and uh, you sent me to one. So it's, it's quite interesting. We're also going to be talking about our sex hormones and how hormone replacement therapy is bringing back the joy of sex to men and women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. We're going to explore how hormone replacement therapy can bring back that love and feeling again so you can experience the feelings you had in your 20s. Do you remember that? We're going to discover how men with ED can achieve erections without the help of ED drugs such as Viagra, And we'll discuss how menopausal dryness issues in women can be corrected and how the overall sexual experience is enhanced when we balance our hormones and bring back our youthful, healthy levels. And so that's next week. Tell your friends. Check us out on iTunes. We're here with a new show every single Monday. Now let's check in the news and see a couple of the new stories that have been hitting the press. And one is that early menopause may double the risk of stroke, or rather, uh, yeah, double the risk of stroke. And I want to ask you, Dr. Licken, about this. This is what the story says. Women who permanently stop menstruating before the age of 42 are twice as likely as other women to suffer a stroke. This is done from a large study. And on the opposite end, women who enter natural menopause after the age of 54 are about 70% less likely to have a stroke compared with women who enter menopause before the age of 42. This is what the professor, this Ph.D., is saying from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. The data suggests that about 1 in 20 strokes in women can be attributed to early age at menopause. And the findings go on to show that the hypothesis that decreasing estrogen levels after menopause may raise the risk of stroke, but current evidence regarding this hypothesis is inconsistent. For example, the Women's Health Initiative showed that giving women hormone pills after menopause actually increased the risk of heart disease, stroke, and certain cancers. That's what one of the doctors is saying. But then a drawback in the study, it suggests that you know, there, there is some association between the two factors, and in this case, that the age of menopause and stroke risk, that they don't completely prove the cause and effect. So what do you think about that? Early menopause, doubling the risk of stroke? Have you heard anything about that? Yes, and the data that we have uh, goes back really almost 40 years. If you look at the disease process of stroke or heart attack, it's still a factor in that the blood vessel that's supplying the organ is, in fact, decreased. 
The data from the 1970s and 1980s showed, and I remember one study by Sullivan, that if a woman had a history of a heart attack and she was on estrogen, she had half the morbidity in the last next 10 years as a woman who wasn't. So we know that giving estrogen to women who have had heart attacks, in fact, will reduce the incidence of a fatal uh, disease. If you look at the data, again, just like you quoted correctly, women who go through an early menopause are twice as likely, as a matter of fact, 2.2 times as likely to have a heart attack in the next 10 years than a woman who doesn't go through the menopause. So you have to understand now what we're going at. Women produce a natural estrogen called estradiol. We'll call this a biological hormone. And when we replace from a compounding standpoint or a prescription standpoint biological hormone replacement for women, we're talking about replacing estradiol. So if the body loses estradiol, they have heart attacks and strokes. If a woman adds back the estradiol, they have less incidence of heart disease and stroke. Now, the trouble with the Women's Health Initiative, they weren't using biological hormones. They were using a synthetic derivative of horse urine called Premarin, pregnant mare urine. So when the studies were done in the Women's Health Initiative, you found an increased incidence of heart disease and stroke in those women taking a non-biological form of estrogen. And to make things worse, in the Women's Health Initiative, they added a second component called Provera, which is a derivative of oil. Mm-hmm. It's not a natural progesterone, not a biological progesterone. And when you added Provera to the study, you've increased the risk of heart disease, strokes, and breast cancer by up to 26-fold. So the point is natural, bioidentical versus uh, synthetic. And, of course, a lack of a hormone makes everything worse. None of us want to live a life without insulin. That's diabetes. No one wants to live as a male without their testosterone production. And women really don't need to live without replacement of their biological estrogens. Okay. So, I mean, you agree with that that study, basically. It fits physiologically with what we've seen for the last 30 years looking at heart disease. Yes, definitely. And, you know, in the show today, we're going to be talking about Is hormone replacement therapy safe for men and women? So we're going to get into that in depth in just a minute. Uh, Now on the plus side, uh, from the Stroke Health Center, another news story, vitamin B may cut stroke risk. And it goes on to say that uh, high doses of vitamin B vitamins may help prevent stroke in high-risk people. And the finding comes from uh, a special study, uh, a trial of 5,000 500 men and women with heart disease, and the participants were assigned a daily regimen of either B vitamins or placebo pills for five years. Now, that research showed that people who took the vitamins were 25% less likely to suffer a stroke over the study period than those who took the placebo. So that sounds good. People younger than 70, those not taking cholesterol-lowering statin drugs or blood thinners, and those living in regions without folic acid, folic acid, uh, they appear to gain the greatest benefit. One of the reasons, they say, is B vitamins lower blood levels, the compound called homocysteine. The risk of heart disease and stroke is increased when a person has high blood levels of homocysteine. So it follows that taking those B vitamins to lower homocysteine levels would improve the outcome. Now, also, positive for people who've already had a stroke, The research showed that taking B-complex vitamins as directed by your doctor may help lower the risk of a second stroke, and I think that's important. Uh, The study involved 3,353 people who had suffered a stroke. The research added high or low-dose B vitamins, folate, vitamin B12, and vitamin B6 to state-of-the-art medical care. And these people had this care for two years, and the results showed that people who stuck with the program were much less likely to suffer a second stroke, have a heart attack, or die. Matter of fact, only 13% did versus 20% of the people who didn't. So vitamin B. And you talked uh, not only about B earlier, but you and I were talking about D. So B is a good thing? Well, all the natural vitamins are a good thing. Uh, when you mentioned this, and I don't have a complete knowledge of everything, that's for sure. So I went back to... Uh, to uh, the Internet and looked under Google, and I just put the two terms in and found that uh, four years ago they published in Stroke an article from the American Heart Association with people out of Harvard. And what they found that 
the vitamin intervention for stroke prevention trial was what they began, and the premise was they looked at men and women who had stroke, and they found that the women and men who had stroke had less than half the level of uh, vitamin B12 levels. And if you look at the top third or the and versus the bottom third, that there was a tremendous difference in the instant stroke. So we know that if you have vitamin and mineral deficiencies, whether it's vitamin D associated with MS and osteoporosis and thyroid disease and GI cancer, or it's vitamin B12 and here B6 in reference to stroke, the idea is that if you don't have the right building blocks, you're going to be prone to have disease. It's that simple. And you want to have a good, well-balanced, nutritional and supplementary program to maintain the nutrition. And it applies to stroke, heart attack, cancer, uh, heart disease, diabetes. Everything's involved. Different minerals, different vitamins. But together, you basically need it all. However, I mean, all the time, we're looking at the news or reading the, the health stories that come up uh, on the Internet. And one day, vitamins are great. The next day, they don't do any good at all. The latest reports, you've seen them. They're saying, don't waste your money. Well, the, the bottom line, you have to have a premise of what's happening in the world. And a lot of this is driven by costs. You mentioned the pharmaceutical companies. In Europe, the pharmaceutical drugs are about one-third or one-fourth the price we pay here. But in Europe, the pharmaceutical companies own the vitamins. So all the vitamins you get in Europe have to be prescription. So if you want to get 250 milligrams of vitamin C, you have to get a prescription from your doctor. And they're four times more expensive to buy vitamins in Europe than they are here. Why is that? Well, whoever controls the uh, the pulse of the government, I guess, is what works. So if you want to get vitamin C in Europe, you got to get a prescription for it. Here you don't have to. But that seems weird to me because uh, in Europe, it's isn't it easier? Don't they get on uh, medical new medical treatments long before us? No, it just depends what the government's basically allowed. Yes, there's drugs available in Europe that are not available here, and there's nutraceuticals that are available in Europe that are not available here, but there's things we have here that are not available in Europe or Canada. So it just depends who's working with what modality of the government. But the point I'm making is that, uh, yeah, you can do a study and say, gee whiz, don't give vitamin E by itself in this format, and the instance of, of lung cancer would be greater. The point we're making is that all the vitamins and minerals work together, mm-hmm. okay? It's not like you have one cell in your body. You've got six billion cells. Each one has different nutritional requirements. You need vitamin C for your adrenals. You need iodine and selenium for your thyroid. Your skin needs vitamin E. The point is you need to have a nice, well-balanced nutritional program. The problem we have is that the food we're eating today has less than half the nutritional value it had in 1950. So you have to have two heads of lettuce to get a certain amount of minerals. You have to have two apples instead of one. You need uh, two rhubarbs instead of one. And the point is because the food is so nutritionally deficient and we eat less fruits and vegetables, everybody in the United States is really nutritionally deficient. And you really should be on one good supplement. It doesn't have to be expensive. You know, there's a liquid vitamin that we carry in the office that, you know, costs you like $30 for two months. Just a cap capful or a tablespoon a day will make go a long way towards supplementing those McDonald's and uh, Cokes we have every day that are basically devoid of every benefit. And this is just an example. I mean, you go back 500 years. How did the Brits conquer the world? They put limes on their boats so their men, sailors, didn't get scurvy. It's that simple. That's why they were king and queen of the ocean. Something as simple as scurvy was having the teeth fall out of all the sailors, and they found a way around it. Nutrition is everything. We now know that if you take B vitamins, you can prevent the instance of spina bifida, where babies are born with defects in their lower back. It happens that the English, because of their nutritional deficiencies, have an instance 10 times higher than the United States. So, yes, good nutritional supplement is a basis of health, and yes, we can go ahead and prescribe the most expensive treatments, but, you know, look at heart disease. You end up having a heart catheterization and you have a bypass. It's $100,000. Wouldn't it make more sense to take your nutritional supplements every day and replace your hormones? That's what we're about here, preventing the yeah. expensive medical interventions that are the last come lately. It's the last treatment before you're dead. 
Uh, the whole idea is some common sense, some good nutritional supplementation, some appropriate laboratory tests, and say, hey, you know, we can prevent most disease because that's what we're here for. Doctors are here to prevent disease. You know, we don't want to run into the last last uh, chance to prevent the uh, the wrestlers from taking your equipment. You know, it's funny, too, how that starts to make more sense after you get over 40. You know, I mean, I look at my son who's 19, and I look at the way he eats, and I'm always on him. You know, why are you eating this fast food? And, you know, if you if you start eating right now, I mean, imagine if kids started eating right and did that throughout their entire life, how healthy they could be. But yet, you know, when you're 19 or a kid, you're bulletproof. You don't get it until you get older. And in our first show, we, and if you haven't listened to that, it's available as well on iTunes, but we laid out how the hormones work, all of the individual hormones, and we talked about the levels. And I mentioned that it just made good sense to me that you need to know your levels. And if you're if you're not where you need to be, then you can correct that. Same thing with vitamins, right? Know your levels. I mean, one deficiency. You mentioned the vitamin C deficiency. Oh, it, that, that scurvy, this this really horrible disease, cured by one vitamin. Oh yeah, and there's so many examples we have. I mean, we can go on and on. But the point being is that good nutrition is something that we actually. We got from started from our parents, and as a gynecologist, we say if mom didn't eat right, baby has disease. Well, now I'm seeing, you know, because I'm in my 60s and you're somewhere in the 40s and 50s, and I see these kids in their 30s, they look like they're 80. Their nutrition is just so bad. They had bad nutrition because mom had bad nutrition, you know, gout, uh, heart disease, migraine, and and even ED in guys under 30, you say, what is going on? Well, we're in trouble, and that's what the show's about. We're trying to tell you how to make your life better. A little nutrition, appropriate laboratory tests will pick up things you don't even know are deficient, and then hormone replacement on top of that will give you an extra boost towards fixing the system. And so in one of our shows in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about that. What tests do you need? Where should your levels be, and how can you correct them? If you're not where you need to be, and uh, we'll be looking into other issues, like you said, of what's what's good nutrition, how to get it. But today, we're going to follow up on our last broadcast. We introduced you to the hormones, and now we're going to talk about is it safe to do these hormones. Uh, as I mentioned, Oprah Winfrey had Suzanne Summers on, and Oprah Winfrey is on hormone replacement therapy, as was her guest, Suzanne Summers. In the audience, there was a doctor that was attacking her, and it's made the news, and people have fears. Is this healthy? And doctors, frankly, don't seem to see eye to eye. Uh, You can go to your average internist or gynecologist, and they will tell you this is not healthy whatsoever. And I've got some articles that came out after that show throughout the country, and I want to give you a vibe of of what the buzz is on the streets, at least the negative press, and maybe you are frightened of this. And the question is, do we need to be frightened? And let's find out. Uh, The Seattle Times had a story on breast cancer rates drop when women quit hormone therapy. Investigators found that taking estrogen plus progesterone for five years doubled a woman's chances of developing breast cancer. The most detailed indication yet that the cancer risk may rise in tandem with the duration of hormone therapy. The findings based on an analysis of the landmark Women's Health Initiative study further strengthens the suspected causal link between hormone therapy and breast cancer. Researchers halted that study after three years in, two, in July of 2002, after concluding that women were randomly assigned to take Prempro and estrogen progesterone pill, faced heightened risk of cancer as well as heart attacks. Hormone prescriptions around the nation fell from 60 million in 2001 to 20 million in 2005 after that report. It corresponded with a deep decline in breast cancer. So once the people stopped, it corresponded, it says here, with a decline in breast cancer cases among women enrolled in the PremPro clinical trial. 
Within a year of women quitting Prempro, breast cancer diagnosis fell by 28%. And so um, tell me something about that. Well, this is what we mentioned before. In the Women's Health Initiative, they used Premarin and Provera. Premarin being the derivative of horse urine and Provera being a derivative of oil. Now, Provera was banned in most countries around the world in 1960 because it was known to be a carcinogen. The only three countries that basically use Provera is the United States, Canada, and the Netherlands. So even the injections that young girls are taking for contraception called Depo-Provera was never FDA approved. It's imported from Netherlands because of these studies. So we knew 50 years ago that Provera is a carcinogen. It causes cancer. Progestin means a synthetic drug that acts like a progesterone. Progesterone is natural, bioidentical, natural progesterone. So we're using a synthetic compound that's different from what the body uses. And there are progestins in birth control pills. The reason they use a progestin instead of progesterone is that progesterone doesn't prevent pregnancies. Progestins do, and progestins are cheap. So now you're taking a carcinogen, and you say, look, we're having more breast cancer. Now, the part that they that's very strange to me is they did not release the Premarin-only arm until two years later after all the scares were out. The Premarin-only arm showed a decrease in breast cancer. So when you took Premarin and Provera together, the incidence of breast cancer went up. And when you took Premarin, which is a synthetic or not natural Estrogen, the incidence of breast cancer went down. Well, it doesn't take a whole lot of brains to realize that Provera is carcinogenic and Primarin, even though it's not natural, is not. But the scare went out and suddenly there were 40 million less women using Primarin or estrogen replacement of any form. And you ought to look at the increase in the use of Prozac, antidepressants, Lunesta, or all the other medicines for sleep. And Fosamax. So what the women did when they got scared of taking Premarin Provera, they could have gone to Premarin alone and been safe. But instead, they stopped everything, and they ended up increasing the use of all these other drugs by fivefold. And the overall cost of pharmaceutical replacement, without being natural, was probably forty or fifty billion dollars. So this whole Scare tactics is insane. We just talked about the fact that if you replace natural estrogen, if your body continues to use estrogen, you have less stroke. If your body continues to produce natural estrogen, you have less heart disease. If your body continues to use, have natural production of estrogen, you have less osteoporosis. You have less depression. You want to continue the natural estrogen your body was producing in your 40s, into your 50s, into your 60s. It's only logical. The studies show that. Well, part of the study, too, says that uh, the new findings do not apply to women taking estrogen without progesterone. Even five or more years of estrogen alone did not affect their breast cancer risk. Only women who had a hysterectomy can safely take estrogen alone because it can overstimulate the uterine lining, leading to some cancer issues. But in this office, understanding the the physiology of this... Understand, natural progesterone is a pill. You could take it, but in this office what we do is we have some unique androgens. See, testosterone will also block estrogen receptors. So my women patients, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or beyond, are using a form of testosterone or androgens to block the uterine lining. So my patients are in estrogen, a little testosterone. The bones are better. Their mental focus is better. They have good sex drives for as long as they want to... uh, keep their younger men happy. So I want to challenge you on that. I mean, we keep hearing about this, the Women's Health Initiative. First of all, what's that all about? Because that you keep hearing everything come back to that one report. Some people say it's tainted because all the women were like 63 years old plus. And um, as we talked about in, in one of those stories, it's the age can make a difference when you get on hormone replacement therapy. But that's the, 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 the report that everyone seems to refer back to, to show that this is bad. But what's what's the research on the other end? Well, you have to start out by understanding that the people who put the Women's Health Initiative together 
were complete idiots, and they completely destroyed Wyeth Airs. Let's just start with the point of the most stupid study ever done in the history of man. What you did was you took a drug that you wanted to sell called Prempro, Premarin and Provera, and you said, gosh, if it works well for women at 50, let's give it to women who are 70. And what happened is Premarin sales, as you said, were 60, 70 million prescriptions a year. And they were looking to say, we can use this for everything, but they didn't think out one step. And the one step was Provera is a carcinogen. And they were selling an estrogen that was cheap and simply available in the 1950s, while the newer estrogens, the bioidentical estrogens in the patches, for example, or compounded, or even available orally, because all the estrogens, you can give them as prescriptions, were in fact natural. So they wanted to make a play, and they had a billion dollars to invest, and the government put money in too. So they did a huge study, I think it was 55 or 150 locations, and we'll say, let's collect the data. But their thought process, their hypothesis, their application was wrong. Why use a cancer-causing drug and try to sell it by adding it to Premarin? So the, the design was wrong. The second part is, if you look around the world, there have been similar studies done without Provera. The British did a study of 55,000 women. That's a huge study. And they followed them for five years. And when they used a different progestin called agestin, not Provera, a different synthetic compound, there was no increased risk of breast cancer. So just the point is, understand Provera is bad, period. Now, if you take Provera out of the equation, as we did in the second half of the Women's Health Initiative, there were benefits. No breast cancer, less colon cancer, less osteoporosis, less depression, less problems with insomnia when you were using a synthetic estrogen. Now, just imagine if you changed the study and did something with a natural estrogen. Think how much better the study data would have been. It's like your ovaries didn't fail when you were 40. Imagine have your ovaries working until you're 70. Imagine how much better off you would be. And the whole discussion is, what do you do about uterine bleeding? Well, wife heirs wants you to take Provera, which is a carcinogen. In my office, I'll give you natural progesterone. Or if you want to have better bones and better muscles and better focus and better sex drive, I'll give you a form of testosterone that will do the same thing and rebalance your whole endocrine system so you're more like a 30-year-old than a 60-year-old. Well, are you suggesting then, because all of these articles that have been published, they appear to be new. I mean, they're talking about new studies, but yet they always refer back to the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative. But it says here... um, the results published in last week's New England Journal of Medicine last week showed no increased breast cancer risk for two years, but a 60% increase after five years on hormones. Um, and this is, they say it's relatively modest, uh, and 18 months after the women were told to stop taking hormones in 2002, their risk returned to normal. So that, it's kind of like confusing in a way because it, they, they come out looking like new reports, but it really isn't new because it's still referring back to the, the 2002 WHI. Well, and the point we're making is apples and oranges, okay? Premarin is not a natural estrogen. Provera is not a natural progesterone. And these companies that are making the natural products or the compounding products don't have the money to compete with the big drug companies. You know, more than 50% of all the research in the United States is done by drug companies. Well, they're not doing it just to see what the truth is. They're doing it to sell product. So here they made a terrible mistake. This is a terribly designed study. And when you look at some of the newer studies using the estrogen patch, which is natural estrogen, you know what? None of these side effects are showing up, but they're not going to have a billion dollars to invest. So there's a small study coming out using the estrogen patch, better data, better results, less hypertension, less issues. But the big companies say, well, we have all the proof because we spend all the money to all these big studies. You know, BFD, okay? I don't care about a big study. I want one person, one result. Oh, you found out what it is. just got BFD. Yeah. I had to do the... Uh, yeah, I do the... Uh, but the nasty. point we're making is... Your body doesn't make Premarin. It makes estradiol. Your body doesn't make Provera. Your body makes progesterone. So it's different. You can't put kerosene in your car. Right. It's not going to write. Right. right. I hear you there. But doctors, 
still don't agree with that. I mean, you talk about the natural, and, and they're still uh, having a problem. Let me let me show you. I want you to hear this because I think this is well represents what's going on out there. There's a TV show on ABC called The Doctors. It's on every weekday, and uh, one of the the female doctors, Ob Jen, is a lady by the name of Doctor Lisa Matherson. Now she's a specialist in OB/GYN, infertility, adolescent gynecology, and family planning, and she's on the staff at Los Angeles Cedar Sinai Medical Center. She has an office in Santa Monica. All right, she's your average OB/GYN, and then you've got uh, a gentleman that was on the show by the name of Dr. Eric Braverman. He's known as an anti-aging physician. He's he's written more than 120 papers. He's been practicing medicine for 22 years. You know, he's from Princeton, uh, he, he went to internal medical school at Yale. I mean, he, he's done a lot of stuff. And he was on the show the other day, and he wasn't specifically talking in that show about uh, hormones. They were talking more about uh, supplements and things you could take to, to make your brain work better and age less. But this show came uh, a few shows after the one uh, with Oprah and there was this firestorm that was created, and this Dr. Lisa seems to be acting like the doctor who was on the Oprah show. And this is how that exchange went down in that show. So, Dr. Bergman, great to have you back. Let's talk about the tests that you did for Chris. Okay, the story of Chris's life is the story of the menopausal woman in America. It's a march to menopausal madness. You start out with a little peanut ovary as a child, becomes a walnut, and then it shrinks back to a peanut, becoming cystic and no longer giving you estrogen or progesterone. And it doesn't just affect the ovary, it affects your entire body. Your muscle, which was lean, now no matter how much you work out, becomes filled with fat or like a marbled fatty steak and so you just don't have the ability to stay fit in fact you could be thin but you're still thin and flabby and it's not a couple issues about the menopausal madness women should actually celebrate menopause because it's a transition to when they don't need to have children anymore you can't say that every woman who goes to menopause has, is having madness. But the menopause is really destructive to the brain, so it's hard to celebrate if you can't remember or think, which is really the majority of women are out of the workforce by 60 and by 50. Their CEOs are being fired. They cannot do the job, and they can't remember or think. Because that the can brain also be a domino effect, as you said, because domino. of the menopausal symptoms, right? Because if you're getting hot flashes, if you're not able to sleep because of insomnia, that'll cause you to have, a, you know, decreased memory as well. So a lot of the, th- the thought is that if you, you know, correct the symptoms, you're also going to correct the, you know, the memory loss. The as ovary well. is dying. You do funeral services for the ovary and then you better resurrect your brain because the brain is filling up with water. It's getting dehydrated and toxic hormones are coming out of the central nervous there system. There are no toxic hormones. We know that estrogen actually affects the brain and hormones are not toxic. What happens is as we age, everybody's brain gets older and otherwise you would say every single menopausal woman would have dementia or Alzheimer's and that's not true. There's an what epidemic in women of dementia does, and Estrogen does affect certain areas of the brain. There have been studies to show, though, that giving back hormones does not correct this as well. You cannot say that hormones, gynecologists know with the studies from the WHI and the HERS studies and the PEPI Mm -hmm. studies and all the, you know, randomized controlled studies that cognition is not necessarily affected by estrogen. 35 years ago at Harvard, they said their studies, nutrition had no role in health care. The studies are overwhelming that if women don't treat this, they're not going to remember, they're not going to think, they're going to have a disastrous 50s. You need to prepare and turn back the clock on how menopause is affecting your brain. I think actually celebrate there's, there's, it, but there's be sharp research when you celebrate that it. that shows you exactly the opposite. So you have to be very careful when you, when you say that overall cognition goes down in menopause, obviously healthy living is going to make you think better, is going to make you feel better, is going to make you look better. And that should be for everybody. But you can't say that menopause is toxic to so, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to play mediator here because I feel like we're, we're going in the same direction in a different sense. So, Oh, my God. I mean, and if you would have seen her, I mean, she was in attack mode. I mean, she was she was really hot going after this guy. 
that's kind of how doctors respond when you come and you want to talk to them about hormone replacement therapy. Was she off the mark or not? And I got to ask myself a question. Did you notice when she said, we need to celebrate menopause? There was all this applause. Then she said another thing. There's all this applause. Why are people applauding that? In my mind, uh, maybe skeptical, but I'm thinking, you know, are they stacking the audience? I mean, Braverman was set up, man. He was getting ambushed. He's asked to be on the show. He's giving his opinion, and she's attacking him. And the, and the audience seemed to be backing her, which was odd. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me. Tell me, break that down for me. What was that all about? Who was right? Well, number one, I know Eric. I know Eric personally, and Eric's actually been in contact with me because he's actually using natural hormones to treat some of his diabetic male patients. So I know Eric very well. And Eric was absolutely on the mark. And the material being presented by the doctor was the spin, the pharmaceutical spin. So let's break down what she said and what's absolutely wrong. All right, number one, if you look at estrogen, even this Premarin, this horse urine stuff that's been out for 50 years, the studies show that a woman gets to 80, if she's on Premarin or some other estrogen replacement, her instance of Alzheimer's disease is 120th of the rest of the population. The data is overwhelming. I have it in the book. I'll get you the reference if you ask. But the bottom line is, in the textbook of bioidentical hormones, it's there. The reference says, taking estrogen protects you against Alzheimer's. Now, if you want to celebrate Alzheimer's, fine. Follow this woman because it's absolutely insanity. Okay? If a woman has her ovaries removed early, she has more strokes. You said so. Uh She has more heart attacks. I said so. She has earlier Alzheimer's. The literature says so. If you go through a biological menopause earlier, you collapse earlier. That's period logic. Now, Premarin is the big selling point. The drug companies are supporting half of the research. Every chairman of every department of obstetrics and gynecology across the country has gotten some money, or at least the biggest ones have, from Wyeth. Example is the North American Medical Society, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Metro, Wolf Udin, who's chairman of the department there. He was the one that was attacking uh, Suzanne Summers on the Larry King show. He failed to mention that Wyeth had given him a grant of quarter million dollars just the year before. Now, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. So the point is, do you want to go through early menopause? If you want to celebrate menopause early, when you have your kids, go ahead and have the doctor take out your ovaries. Okay, this is something they did 100 years ago. It fixed menstrual pain, it fixed uh, uterine pain, and it caused premature death. So if you want your ovaries to collapse and fail early, why wait for menopause? Do it at 15, do it at 20, do it at 25 when you're done with your kids. Uh, celebrate menopause earlier, and then you'll be, you know, a complete idiot. Uh, no one wants to do that. The logic of a woman being 50 not having kids, fine, have a tubal ligation, have an IUD put in place. There's a lot of things you can do not to have kids, but do you want to be old and dry? I mean, I have patients in their 60s who are entertaining men in their 30s. I have women in their 40s who are being chased by men in their 20s. It's not because they're old grandmother type. The point is you have to celebrate life. Life is hormones. The Greek had it 3,000 years ago. They said hormones excite you. They give you life. Lack of hormones gives you the opposite. So, yeah, Eric was set up. Eric was absolutely right. I thought his points were very well taken, very scientific. And, of course, the other side says, but look at all the literature we published. Again, they're talking about giving you Premarin, which are apples when your body is looking for an orange. But she's a doctor. These are, these are how doctors are, are, this is their feeling. So how do we make uh, our listeners who might be on the fence, do I do this, don't I do this? I mean, wh- how do we, if I'm a woman coming to you, how are you going to make me know? Can you make me know that this is okay for me to do? Or is it different for one woman than another woman? Are there individual situations? Well, first thing is, and you know, I've seen 175,000 patients in my medical career, so I have a little bit of input about what it takes for people to understand. And some people just won't get it. Now, the doctors, you have to understand why a doctor responds the way he does. You go to medical school, 
somewhere along the line you make a mistake. They tell you if you made a mistake, you're going to kill somebody. So everyone comes out looking like they came pushed through the rectum. They are so narrow-minded that we are going to use FDA-approved drugs. We're going to write the dosage for exactly what they tell us to do, and we're going to spend seven minutes with the patient, and we're going to pre- prescribe the medication the way the protocols have told us to do, and we're going to go on. And that's where most doctors are. They don't have time to think. They don't have time to research. They don't have time to write a book. They don't have time to go through four or 5,000 articles looking at what the literature really says. They take what's fed them. And that's just the same thing with the public. Whether we're approving $3 trillion in money, do we really know the facts? No, we're told what to do. So doctors are just told what to do. And there's going to be a few that question it. Now, in my practice, I don't go by what they tell me. I go by what works. So if you come to my office and you're a woman, they says, well, I need a hysterectomy. I just had a lady yesterday who saw me and says, they tell me because I can't control my bleeding, they've given me birth control pills, they gave me this shot of Lupron, it gets $700 a month, it caused me to feel terrible, what am I going to do? And I said, well, data back from the 1950s said we could use this form of testosterone. And the studies are out. What's the effect? The woman has no menstrual period. She stopped bleeding. She doesn't need her hysterectomy. She feels good. Her sex drive is great. Her bone density is improving. Her muscle mass is improving. I said, why didn't the doctors tell me? I said, well, this shot costs $6. Lupron costs $650. Who do you think is feeding the doctors their information? We have to understand that medicine is what works. You go to the doctor and you say, I think there's something better, and the doctor says there isn't. You get another opinion. You look on the Internet. You read. A lot of the stories you'll find answers on my website, and everything I tell you I will show you a reference for in the literature. But it may be before the drug companies came out with an expensive alternative drug. But most doctors would know who's feeding this machine, too. To some extent they do, and to some extent they don't, because they're getting told by their professors. They don't know how much money went into their professors. Well, I think that's one of the, the things that all of these reports lack most. They never really identify their sources. I mean, reporters, you know, I was uh, in the media, and you, know, you get a, a story that sounds good, and you run with it. You don't really track it back. It would take too much time to find out where this report came from. And I think, in fact, uh, a lot of the... Uh, Big pharmacies now, the majority of these uh, research reports are coming, they're financed by them. Yes, and that's what we're saying. An example is when it comes to a financial issue, the pharmaceutical companies are in there blocking the data. So, example, there was a study done at Stanford, nice small university, and they compared Synthroid, synthetic thyroid, against the generics. The data show no difference. So the company at the time, I think it was No Pharmaceutical, sued Stanford not to publish the study. And they were able to suppress the study for five years. Well, they were making over a billion dollars a year selling Synthroid. What happened at the end of five years, the federal government finally got involved, fined them $180 million, and they sold off the company to BASF. But for five years, they were able to make money because people thought Synthroid was better than generic. There's a study out now with Solvay. Solvay is the one that makes androgen. Uh, Androgel, which is the testosterone cream that's $350 a month or $250 a month for this cream that was basically around the 1950s. So they was fined by the federal government because they bought, they paid off the generics they're going to hit the market. And actually the federal government stepped in and so they paid a fine for blocking the generics so that they could make more money selling this product. Then there's another product out of Europe today. Uh, it's been in Europe since 2003. It's called Nibido. Sounds like libido. Yeah. It's a three-month testosterone shot, $160. Now, Solvay's selling cream for $250 a month, and this company is now going to sell a shot for three months for $160. Federal government blocked its release in the United States and in Europe for 10 years, or excuse me, seven years. Why? One-fourth the price? Not even that. And what happens, there was one complication when a guy got dizzy after having a shot out of one man out of 500. So the federal government said, well, we have to wait two more years and see what more data you can collect. What is out there is, in fact, a financial interest. Pure and simple, it's American greed. You can watch a TV show. You now see it. In fact, your medical practice is defined by who's making more money. And I can give you another 50 examples. Uh, there's a drug for hepatitis, uh, ribavirin, and the little company somehow pissed off the FDA. 
The FDA blocked it for 10 years, went to Canada, went worldwide with this product. So for 10 years, the American public died with hepatitis because a drug was available, but someone at the FDA didn't, didn't like the guy. So we don't have a free system. We have a financially greedy system. And when you hear stories about this, Wyeth is still manufacturing Prempro. It's just a lower dose. So we have the same crummy drug that's been around for 50 years that the WHI says was dangerous, but now you can use it at a lower dose. But I see how the loop works now. I mean, doctors were trained to take in the information and believe it as the gospel. We, as uh, health consumers, were taught to listen to our doctors and take their information as the gospel. And so then then it's the, the rogue patient that, that goes out and finds a, another way along with a doctor that has a different train of thought. Right. This is spin. I mean, it's the same thing you get on the media, and you know it so well. It's spin and payola, but the bottom line is it's your health. And the thing you have to do is trust your judgment. Yeah, people come to me all the time and say, this is the article in the Internet that said this or said that. or you know, The point is, you try it. And you say, gosh, it's, what are you prescribing? I mean, we're not making drugs in our backyard. These are FDA-approved drugs that come to us through compounding pharmacies or they come through regular pharmacies. The products are all the same. It's just a question of who's mixing it up. If you say, gosh, why didn't my doctor look at this? I said, well, I've been looking at data from the 1950s. And before there were pharmaceutical companies making trillions of dollars, these drugs were out. And there's another example on different substance, just, just to make it clear. There's a drug called Epigen. It raises your blood count. If you're on dialysis, you have to have it or you die, you bleed to death. In Europe, they don't use Epigen. They use the same FDA-approved testosterone I'm talking about. But the cost factor is $6 a week instead of 1000 or 2000 or 3000 And in the United States, the neurologist, excuse me, the nephrologists know about it, but they don't make money off of prescribing the androgens. They make money because they get $100 back on every time they write for Epigen. So there's a financial incentive. And if you did the right thing, allow the doctors to be out of business. Well, why can't the pharmaceutical companies get on the bandwagon of, of offering, uh, you know, these other drugs that are, are coming out of compound pharmacies, and then they would have a financial vested interest as well? These drugs have already been out through the pharmaceutical companies, like the testosterone you and I are talking about. If I want to give you a prescription for testosterone cream, it costs you $47. If you write your prescription for Androgel, it costs you $260. But your insurance company won't pay your $47. They'll pay your $260. So you're saying they've outlived their patent, and now they're like uh, just a generic uh, brand? and One-sixth the cost. Wow. So, yeah, the drugs that I talk about, the Nandrolone, the testosterone, these are generic from the 1940s and 50s. But back to safety. I mean, because there's not the money flowing uh, with some of these new naturals that don't cost as much? Uh, do they have an inability to get studies done like Big Pharma does with all the money? I mean, is there enough research? Uh, I just keep getting back to the safety issue. How do you make a patient feel that relatively confident that the risk is worth it, if there's a risk at all? Do the benefits outweigh the risk? When you get a compounded product like estradiol, mm-hmm. You can buy estradiol as a patch, a prescription, or you can get it from a compounding pharmacy. But the studies were done in the 1950s to be FDA-approved. If I give you a form of testosterone, this is FDA-approved. It's just drug companies and manufacturing companies said we can't make a profit with it anymore, so they drop it. So the compounding pharmacies pick up the same product from the same source that the pharmaceutical company did, and they make it up for you. There is no difference. These are safe because they're FDA-approved, U.S. pure U.S. Pharmacopeia Pure, same product that goes into the pill you're taking from a pharmaceutical company. And call me skeptical, but I'm, I'm starting to see that uh, the way they're trying to bash the compound pharmacies, the way that uh, the audience on the doctors was kind of loaded on her side, supporting applause her. Sign, applause right. sign, applause sign. Something told. is going on. Uh, the Wall Street Journal comes out and says seven things you should know about hormones and uh, this is one that the doctor was talking about. Now, thinking about that skepticism, now put it together with this, because now they're saying, as they're putting down compound pharmacies, 
that bioidentical means hormones with the same molecular structure as those that women's bodies make. And they go on to tell you that uh, chemically equivalent estradiol is available in FDA-approved pills, patches, and gels. And so what they're really telling you here is that use these FDA-approved, i.e., the pharmaceutical brands over the uh, compound pharmacy brands. And they put these bugs in your brain that the uh, compound pharmacies aren't FDA approved. The, uh, the, the ingredients are, but not the, the, the process, correct? And they'll make a comment by saying, gosh, if we measure the products coming out of a compounding pharmacy, there is a variation and 25% of them don't meet the standard. Well, that study I told you about from Stanford in reference to the thyroid medicine, uh-huh. there was a variation plus or minus of 15%, and that's what the FDA says. If you get 0.1 of Synthroid, we don't care as long as it's between 0.085 and 0.115. So the point is the standard within the industry for pharmaceutical products is a variation from high to low of 25%. So the pharmacies that are actually compounding are no worse and no better than what the big boys are doing. Yeah, so what does it tell you, though, that they're they're bashing them? I mean, compound, they're saying compound drugs don't carry warnings or list side effects on their labels, but that's because they're not made under FDA scrutiny. In fact, they can vary greatly in strength and potency, and little is known about how these release active ingredients over time. And, and again, bash, bash, bash. We're going to have Brad here from the Compounding Pharmacy next week. He's going to tell us the real deal on this stuff. But it yeah. just, it's, I'm skeptical. The, the next point they say is don't trust saliva tests. You probably agree with that. I don't do saliva tests. I mean, the only application I would use a saliva test is for measuring cortisol. And I, instead of that, I do a blood level in the morning, the afternoon. But one step back is, remember, pharmaceutical companies make money. With that money, they pay up to 40% kickback to the insurance companies to be listed in their formulary. And remember, the pharmaceutical companies support the FDA to the tune of $300 million a year in money and fees for new drug applications. So, again, we're back to the 1984, you know, PIG, Pharmaceutical Insurance Government Complex. And it all runs on American greed, American money. Next point, they're talking about a critical window of time for starting HRT, hormone replacement therapy. I guess earlier is better, right? Right. You want to, you know, as as my wife says, she never went through menopause because I measured the blood work and I saw that she was heading there, and we started estrogen replacement in her 40s. Their next point is the increased risk of breast cancer appears related to progesterone rather than estrogen. Progestins, Provera, exactly what I told you before. It's a carcinogen. It should have been banned. And remember, the FDA never approved Provera. It's being brought in as a product coming from Amsterdam. It never got FDA approval in 1960 or in 2009. So don't think FDA approval is there because it's, quote, an FDA-approved product. It's just they accepted the work of the Netherlands to bring this drug into the United States while every other country, bar U.S. and Canada, had kept it in the classification of carcinogen. And the final point they make here is that estrogen applied to the skin in patch, cream, or gel form may have a lower risk of blood clots and strokes than in pill form. Again, look at the biology. When you take a pill of even estradiol, remember we said Premarin wasn't estradiol, the liver will convert this into the old age estrogen called E1 or estrone. So I give patches. I give vaginal creams of estrogen. I give topical estrogens. I use estrogen pellets. The bottom line is estrogen doesn't, ideally isn't taken orally, and it's definitely not ideally Premarin. For a woman considering hormone replacement therapy, um, I know that I've heard stories of women when they go through menopause that uh, it's madness, as, as that one doctor said. But others... Not so much, right? So uh, is it common sense that if your symptoms aren't so bad, if you still feel like you have a decent sex life and you know maybe you're not feeling as good as you were before, but you're not feeling that bad either, that there's no value in that? Well, you have to ask yourself one simple question, okay? When God created us, didn't give us clothes or housing. How many of you want to live without your clothes and your housing? 
The difference is we were given a brain. We're able to make scientific, analytical, and observational decisions. I don't see anybody running around without houses and running around without clothes. Life is better because we can think this out. And we've been able to analyze all the natural hormones, or at least the major natural hormones we produce, and we realize that aging is based on a drop in those natural hormones. You know, I expect my wife, you know, God willing, will live into her 80s, 90s, or even more, and still look like she's 20 or 5 years younger and act that way. I hope that with the androgen replacement I've been on, I'll continue to function like I'm 20 years younger than I am. The point is we have the brains to do something different. And remember, it's much easier to control a sick population than a healthy population. So think about why people are pushing drugs that are not in your best interest. We're in our last four minutes. Um, Any bad negative side effects that could occur from hormone replacement therapy? Well, there's all kinds of side effects with anything. And the whole point is doing the right balance. Some people can't take hormones. Uh, the interesting thing is there are natural hormones we'll talk about that we use for men and women that can prevent stroke. Example, I'm bringing back a hormone that was FDA approved in the 50s. It shows it reduces platelet counts by 30, platelet stickiness by 33%. Why don't we add that to the estrogen? And the women can have both the anabolic effects. So yeah, we can have side effects with everything. You can drown from drinking too much water. You can go ahead and overdose on aspirin. Common sense, laboratory measurements, and a doctor who has an understanding of the physiology of disease mm-hmm. and the physiology of medicine is where you want to start. Now, I think that's important, too, because there are people that want to be their own doctor. They surf the net, and, you know, you can buy some of this stuff, uh, and it's not the right way to go. It's illegal, first of all, so you need to see a doctor. You don't want to order from somebody you don't know what you're getting. You need to be monitored. You should know your levels going into it. You should know the risks versus the benefits and you just happen to feel that there aren't that many risks with what you're doing right now. Well, what we point out in the book is menstrual pain, PMS, endometriosis, migraine, menopause, hot flashes, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's. I treat all these. And as a gynecologist who had a huge GYN surgical, I rarely do any surgery anymore. My patients are just comfortable. There's no 50% hysterectomy rate in my practice. The point is replacing the hormones can do wonderful things and all the morbidity and mortality we experience within a failing medical system can be addressed if we can keep everybody in their 20s and 30s early 40s hormonal balance if you want to celebrate the menopause and many of my patients do they're fine but you put them up against the ladies of the same age who are hormone replacement and one looks like they're the grandmother versus the mother well i hope this information's been helpful to you i mean i learned a lot and there's a lot more to learn. And next week, we'll be focusing more on men, some of the issues with them with hormone replacement therapy. And it'll be a fun show because we're going to talk about sex, uh, the sex hormones, and how HRT is bringing back the joy of sex to men and women. Uh, you've heard them talk on TV, and they're very excited about it, that they feel love, they feel sex again, where they hadn't for years. And I think some of us, uh, as we get older, you know, we kind of really forget how we used to feel and then once you start hrt oh that's what it was it comes back and it feels good so you're going to learn about that you'll learn how it can make you feel better and the guys will learn how those ed drugs they may be taking perhaps they don't need to take anymore because once they're on hrt things have a way of correcting themselves and we'll discuss the women's uh issues all of that Every new program will come out on iTunes on Monday. And we're with Dr. Edward Lichten, a Birmingham physician. If you'd like to contact him for consultation or you want to find some information, call him at 248-593-9999. That's 248-593-9999. Or visit his website at usdoctor.com. That's Dr. Lichten's website usdoctor.com and if you'd like to get some of your questions answered we'd be happy to do that for you you can send us an email with your question or show suggestion to usdoctorradio at gmail.com that's usdoctorradio at gmail.com shoot us an email we'll answer your questions this is the absolute best way to get your information answered and the price is right because, uh, I mean, this is just value. 
Uh, how many times can you sit down with a doctor and get this kind of information? And right now you can get it for free right here on iTunes. So, Dr. Licton, thank you again. It's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been a lot of knowledge that we've learned. I appreciate your expertise and participating in this radio program. My pleasure, Steve, anytime. So we'll look forward to seeing you guys uh, next week on Monday with our new program. Tell your friends about it. We look forward to being back here to bring it to you. Until then, I'm Steve Peck saying stay healthy, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.